I'll begin with the words of the Buddha. One thing, O monks and nuns, if developed and frequently practiced, leads to a deep stirring of the mind and heart, to great benefit, to great security from toil, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a happy abiding in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and deliverance. What is this one thing? It is the mindful contemplation of the body. So I would like to reflect, contemplate, and speak about this practice that we've been doing so far in this retreat. (coughs) The mindful contemplation of the body. And I would like to encourage you, as we reflect here together, to continue your practice of the mindful contemplation of the body as the body's listening and seeing. So as you're sitting here, paying attention, some of you may sit formally, but if you're sitting informally especially, to simply include your body as an important, as a large part of your meditation right now. So the guidelines that I like to give are put about 80% of your attention on your body. Put about 20% of your attention on me. And notice what that experience is like right now, to see me, to hear me, but to stay very present, awake, mindful in your own body. Often we spend about 90% of our energy is out on what we're looking at or hearing. We actually forget to pay attention to our body. And so this little practice that I'm pointing you to now is really a practice, is an awareness practice, first of all, of the body, of your sense of the body, feeling it right now, and then the perceptions of the body, which is what seeing and hearing is. It's part of the body functioning. And play with this during the course of the talk tonight. Let your mindfulness of the body be continuous as I'm speaking, as you're listening. So the Buddha encourages us, instructs us to be mindful of the body. And he says it leads to a deep stirring of the mind and the heart. What does this mean, a deep stirring of the mind, the heart? In the commentaries, it's talked about as a strong sense of urgency in practice. That being mindful of our body can bring about this sense of determination, of liveliness in practice, of passion in practice, a sense of inspiration, clarity, uh, the fire or flame of practice. 
the motivation for practice is right here. He also says it brings security from toil. I, I like the way that sounds, even before I knew what, what he meant. <laughs> I like that, security from toil. Again, in the commentaries, they talk about a great freedom from burden. The burden of attachment, the burden of grasping, the burden of pushing away our experience. It's also a euphemism for stream entry in the Theravada tradition. Stream entering being the first stage of enlightenment, coming about through mindfulness of your body right now. That it, it leads to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and deliverance. The fruits of practice, knowledge, understanding, realization of understanding, and deliverance. I didn't know what they meant by deliverance. I looked it up. I looked it up in the dictionary, actually. And in the Latin, deliverance, the root um, means thoroughly free, thoroughly free. And the current uh, definition is to set free or liberate. This is the goal of this practice, liberation. And the Buddha instructs us that it can come about with this simple practice of mindfulness of the body. And so the Buddha places mindfulness of the body uh, very central in this practice. It's right at the heart of this practice. And when I was thinking about why I want to give this talk, and I've actually given this talk a, a lot lately, because I think it's so important. I think it's important because of where the Buddha places it in practice, and also how important it's been for me personally in my own practice to really uh, pay attention over and over and over again to what's happening now with the body how it's showing itself, expressing itself. What happens as I keep bringing awareness to this moment through this body? I'm also fascinated by the mystery of life. Here it is. Can you feel it? How do you know it? Except through this body that's here, that's breathing, that's tired, that's aching, that's relaxed. It's through this body that we have the immediacy of the world, of life of experience. Directly here, there's a felt sense of body that lets us know that we're alive. And this here-ness, or now-ness, or is-ness, 
is quite central to our practice of mindfulness. It allows us to come into the present moment. It allows us to come out of the world of concepts, of thought, and into the non-conceptual, into this direct experience that's present here, that we call a body. Even the body's just a concept for this experience that sits here. And I find the body to be a source of infinite awakening and understanding. And I also find that as I reflect about the goal of practice, of freedom, of liberation, I have a slightly uh, heretical view. I'm going to confess right now. I don't think the goal is just liberation per se, or that if we think of it as some fixed idea, I think that's a limited notion of liberation. And then more and more I think of the goal of practice as the embodiment of awakening, the embodiment of liberation, living the teachings through this form that sits here allowing our lives, which we know through this body, to be an expression of the Dharma, an expression of the truth, an expression of our understanding and our realization and our deliverance. So there are a few aspects to this practice of mindfulness of the body that I'd like to talk about, emphasize, kind of explore with you a little bit. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the teaching on mindfulness from the Buddha, he begins the teaching on mindfulness with 14 contemplations on the body alone. And he begins where we began, with the breath. Actually, even before that, He says, become aware of the body in the body. He doesn't say become aware of the body in the mind. He says, become aware of the body in the body. And then he gives these contemplations, these ways to practice so that we can learn how to do this. And he begins where we began with the breath to start by feeling our breath, sensing it, experiencing it, noticing if it's long or short or rough or smooth, if it's open or tight, noticing that it has a beginning and a middle and end, just the in-breath. And then there's a pause and a shift and a change. And then there's the beginning of the out-breath. And that it's constantly changing. It's constantly moving, and it's never the same breath twice. And as we move closer to it, become more intimate with breath, it becomes less of an idea and more of a felt sense experience. 
We start moving from the conceptual to the non-conceptual, to that immediacy of now, which opens us beyond our minds, beyond our ideas, beyond our memory of what a breath is, but into that direct experience of now. The Buddha then offers us the contemplation of body posture, which we've been pointing to, talking about a bit today. The sitting posture, then changing shape, and the body moves into the standing posture, and then the walking posture, and then the lying down posture. And the Buddha encourages us to be mindful in every posture. You could just go through your day, and this is actually a great practice, especially in daily life, and just sense the posture that your body's in. Sense it now. Don't change it. Don't make it the formal sitting posture, but feel this informal sitting posture that you're in. The Buddha expands again. He says, full awareness in movement and each activity. Eating, drinking, consuming food, tasting, acting in full awareness when defecating and urinating, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent. Pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Wherever you find yourself, the body's here, and it's a vehicle, an opportunity for your present, centered awareness. The Buddha continues, he expands instructions to talk about the seeing, understanding, realizing the four elements in the body, which I'll talk about a little later. But all of these point to letting the body be imbued with awareness. So that as we sat here today, and when I heard this in the interviews, people weren't just with the breath, or people weren't just with the body. There were a lot of feelings happening here today. Boredom, excitement, sadness, grief, fear, excitement agitation, restlessness, happiness, bliss, despair. And the body was here for all of that. Can you pay attention, even when there's strong feelings, to how it's being displayed in your physical presence? Or even the thoughts that come, memories and visions and ideas and imaginings and wantings and not wantings, um, I was working with one person in the interviews, and she said, I go into my head. And I said, well, just feel what it's like in your body when you go into your head. You don't have to stop the thoughts. There's a bodily experience that opens. Use your body. Feel it now. Notice the maybe the chill or the warmth that's here. Maybe the a level of energy, tiredness that's here. Letting the awareness permeate the body as well as the perceptions that the body knows of seeing and hearing.
one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, he said, are you in your body or oblivious or only aware of parts of it? When I say, are you in your body, I mean, are you completely filling your body? I want to know whether you are in your feet or you just have feet. Do you live in them or are they just things that you use when you walk? Are you in your belly or do you just know vaguely that you have a belly? Or is it just for food? Are you really in your hands? Or do you move them from a distance? Are you present in your cells, inhabiting and filling your body with awareness? So mindfulness of the body begins with our awareness, with our opening fully and uh, embodying this form with awareness. A second quality that I'd like to speak about that I think is quite important at every part of practice is about compassion. The body being a vehicle for teaching us and training us to be compassionate first of all with ourselves. Remember the quote I said yesterday from the Buddha? Because we hold ourselves dear, we maintain careful self-regard both day and night. It's that quality that we want to bring of holding ourselves dear as we pay attention to this body, as we're mindful of it. And we need to hold ourselves dear because these bodies suffer. Anybody here not have any pain in the body today? Don't raise your hand. Everybody else will be mad at you. (laughs) You know, it's really hard to stop. To just stop and be here. And it's reflected in the body. We see it immediately. If we put the body in a posture and rest it here and say, just relax, it's very difficult. All the tensions come, all the aches come, the age comes. Whatever traumas your body suffered, they show themselves. So it's very important to look at how we're relating to our bodies. Can we relate to our vulnerability? Can we relate with kindness? Can we open and be mindful? Can we let the body be imbued with awareness even when there's uncomfortable and difficult sensations in the body? How do we relate to those sensations? Do you just want to get rid of them? Forget about them, get past them. That's not kind practice. Because what's here, what's true here, is what we have to relate to. And we've spent our lives trying not to relate to what's difficult. It's really the training of our culture. We're we're doing a retraining here. 
We're training ourselves not to push away difficult experience, but to look at it, feel it, open to it directly in the body. And it's not easy. It's not fun, actually. I mean, my uh, infirmity here, which is, uh, came out of the blue, you could say, is a broken kneecap. And it was quite an interesting moment to hit the ground after coming down this hill and hitting a patch of ice on my bicycle. And the pain is really quite something. But I am eternally grateful for my practice to be able to know how to actually work with pain, to sit with it, to open with it, to not contract against the pain, to breathe with it, to um, watch the emotional reaction to pain, fear, which was my reaction. Oh, how much, what did I break? What did I do? How bad is it? All the fear that comes with an accident. Um, and then the aversion. Oh, I don't want this to be happening. I mean, I definitely had my, oh, it's just a bruise. It's just a really bad bruise, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely aversion, denial, resistance, rejection. And then to see that for what it was and not have to judge it at all because this practice is not about judgment. It's about paying attention to what's actually here moment by moment even with difficult, uncomfortable, painful sensations in this body. And so we work with it here. We breathe with it. We sit with it. We notice how we contract against it. We relax that. We sit with the pain until it's, not, it's no good anymore. We can't sit with it. Shift slowly, mindfully. Feel the relief. Be mindful of the relief when you shift. It's actually a really nice experience to have relief. So the Buddha says to be mindful of the body. He says both internally and externally. He actually says that. And there's another kind of suffering, pain of the body. It's very simple. It's really about our body image. I would guess that everybody here has had some of this. You know, too tall, too short, too fat, too thin, too ugly, too beautiful, too stiff, too weak, whatever it might be. Comes in many ways. I'll give you a simple example for you to reflect on for yourself. Have you ever had a bad haircut? I mean, we, we laugh. But you know that feeling? <laughs> you come home and then you start looking in the mirror, like, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to, or how long is it going to grow? It's suffering, and it's all based on an image, a body image. <laughs> I've had a few bad haircuts, I have to admit. And then how do we treat our body here? Are we going to just push through? Are we going to grit it out? Sometimes people do that on retreat. You know, it's, it's a way, but it's, 
may not be the kindest way to practice. A poem from Anna Swer. I say to my body, you carcass. I say, you carcass, crated, nailed down, deaf and blind like a padlock. I should beat you till you scream, starve you for 40 days, hang you over the highest abyss in the world. Perhaps then a window in you would open on everything I feel exists, on everything that is closed to me. I say to my body, you carcass, you are afraid of pain and hunger. You are afraid of the abyss. You deaf, blind carcass, I say, and I spit at the mirror. This is not the attitude we're cultivating here. People do that kind of practice. It's really not the middle way of the Buddha. The Buddha did very intense ascetic practices, and he realized it didn't lead to liberation, that we actually need to take care of our body to wake up. I think it's really compassionate not to take our bodies for granted. And we do. It's part of what happens. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it this way. He said, when we have a toothache, we know that not having a toothache is a pleasurable feeling. When we have a broken knee, we know that not having a broken kneecap is a really pleasurable experience. But most of us are unaware of the pleasure until we break our knee, until we have a toothache. Don't wait too long to realize the pleasure of this body, however it functions, because we don't know when that will change. It can change in a moment. Lama Yeshe, great Tibetan teacher, talked about what it was like after he was hospitalized for a heart attack. He said, Never have I known the experiences and sufferings which attended my stay in intensive care. Due to powerful medicines, unending injections, and oxygen tubes just to breathe, my mind was overcome with pain and confusion. At its worst, 41 days after I became ill, the condition of my body was such that I became the lord of a cemetery. My mind was like that of an anti-god, and my speech like the barking of an old mad dog. As my ability to recite prayers and meditations degenerated, after many days I considered what to do. I did stabilizing meditation with strong mindfulness, and through great effort, this was of much benefit. Don't wait to practice. 
Practice now. Practice today. Practice here. Whether you're here for the weekend or the week, practice. Pay attention. Wake up here. Use this body that's been given to you. Avalokiteshvara is the name for the goddess of compassion. And it's the archetype of compassion. She's the archetype of compassion. She's the archetype of the embodiment of compassion in the world. And how does she become compassionate? She becomes compassionate because it's said that she has a thousand eyes and hands in which to see and feel the suffering of the world. It's the body of compassion. And if you pay attention, if you really sense this body, it's this incredible, sensitive phenomena that will feel the suffering and pain of the world. These bodies are so sensitive, are so vulnerable, And to open to that vulnerability, to realize it, opens us to great compassion, to the compassion of we're all here together, that it's one body. So awareness, compassion, wisdom, the body as a vehicle for wisdom, for awakening. And now the Buddha continues his contemplations of the body, first of all by contemplating the unbeautifulness of the body. Personally, I really like bodies. I think they're pretty neat. You can have a lot of fun with them. And through practice, I've also learned to appreciate the unbeautifulness of the body. Not as an aversion to the body, not as pushing it away, but just seeing, well, what's here? Let's let's look beyond skin and hair. So skin and hair, nails. What happens when you look deeper about what's here? You know, what is a body? What's it made of? Which is what the Buddha then points us to. All the different parts of the body. And he doesn't stop, stop with the skin or the face or the figure. He says, well, let's look at, you know, there's some fluids here. We don't really, really like to look at that part of the body. You know, blood, urine. All kinds of weird fluids, actually. I'm not going to list them all for you. There's all these organs. I mean, if you actually open up a body, there's a certain kind of beauty to it, but it's not what we think of as beautiful. Um, Sometimes on a long retreat, you start to realize, at least I've had this experience, that everywhere there's an opening, stuff comes out of the body. 
it's a, it gets it's a little weird. It's, it's a little weird. It, you start to see, oh, is this who really who I am? The stuff coming out of the body. It starts to point us. This is the wisdom factor at the question of who are we? In essence, are we this body, which we love, care for, honor, appreciate, enjoy? But let's also look at the other parts of it. So there's the unbeautifulness, and there's its changing nature. It doesn't stay beautiful. This is from Ambapali. She was a courtesan at the time of the Buddha. She was considered so beautiful that the princes would fight over her, so they finally made her the chief courtesan of the city. She was quite, quite honored and respected, and she became, she met the Buddha, she really uh, appreciated his teachings, she would invite him, uh, offer her dana, her food for, for him and for the monks and nuns. And um, at the end of her life, she became a, a formal disciple, and this is a poem near the end of her life. And she was, um, she was actually called the Mango Woman. She had beauty like a beautiful ripe mango. And she writes, she says, Once my hair was black, like the color of bees, alive, curly. Now it is dry, like bark fibers of hemp. I'm getting old. This is true. I tell you the truth. Covered with flowers, my head was fragrant as a perfume box. Now, because of old age, it smells like dog's fur. (laughs) My nose was like a delicate peak. Now it's a long pepper. (laughs) The scarecrow is telling the truth. My hands were gorgeous. They used to be. They used to be gorgeous, covered with signet rings, decorated with gold. Now they are like onions and radishes. This is true, I tell you. My breasts look great, round, swelling, close together, lofty. Now they hang down like waterless water bags. My body, it used to be shiny as a sheet of gold. Now it's covered with fine wrinkles. Both thighs, and this was once considered a compliment, look like elephant's tusks. Very interesting. I swear I'm telling the truth. Now they're like stalks of bamboo. I had the body of a queen, now an old house, plaster falling off, sad but true. I keep thinking soon I'm going to write a male version of this. (laughs) Mm. The truth of impermanence sits here. It sits here for your contemplation, for your exploration. It's no further, it's as close to you as anything could be. And I think it's important to be very respectful of our bodies. 
be respectful of the unbeautifulness, of the temporality of the body, of our mortality, of our impermanence. It's a deep identification that we have with the body. It's very important to be respectful of it. Jack Cornfield tells a story about going to visit his teacher, Ajahn Chah, near the end of his life. Ajahn Chah was in the hospital. He'd had some kind of uh, heart problem, diabetes, had a seizure, water on the brain, lost memory, lost awareness, and then had kind of come back a bit and uh, was weak, but he was still teaching in the hospital. And Jack came, went to Asia, went to see him came in, bowed to his beloved teacher, and then said, well, isn't this what you taught us? Isn't this what you taught me about impermanence? And he said, Ajahn Chah was quite fierce with him. Ajahn Chah said, don't be glib. This is not a light matter. It was Ajahn Chah's body that was dying. So I think it's very important that we be respectful of these bodies and of the impermanence that sits here. The Buddha said, in this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and inner sense, lies the world, the cause of the world, freedom from the world, and the path that leads to freedom. It's often quoted, as the Buddha said, in this fathom-long body you will find suffering, the cause of suffering, freedom from suffering, and the path that leads to freedom. But I really like this full quote, because he says, in this body with its perceptions and inner sense, and that's what we're cultivating here when we're being mindful of the body, this inner sense, this felt sense of a body, and finding the world, or suffering, or difficulty, or attachment, or craving, holding, aversion, right here in this body. And then the possibility of letting go, or letting be, and the freedom that's possible, right here in this body, in your direct experience, in your perception and inner sense of the body. This is our practice place. This is our laboratory. It's not just an idea. To be free means to be free in this body, not unembodied, but embodied freedom. Using the body as a very sensitive tool, if you will, to discover and experience suffering and the cause of suffering, and the freedom that's possible. Letting the body serve as a crucible in which the alchemy of suffering takes place. This is the address where awakening occurs, in this body.
Joko Beck has a lovely little article in a book called Being Bodies. It's just four pages. And I want to read you just a little bit of it about practicing using your body. She says, as we live, as we're alive and live together, it becomes painfully clear how important a life of practice is. A life of practice. And that we need to understand what practice is so we will realize freedom. She says, our very nature is enlightenment itself. That's the good news. Our very nature is enlightenment itself. What practice is about is seeing how that gets blocked, how our natural state of being is blocked, and what it means to let go or realize or um, dissolve that blockage through the practice of being present and being mindful. And she talks a bunch about the different deep identifications that we have, who we think we are, the limited sense of self that we've come up with for whatever reason, our history, lifetimes of history, the identities that come from having bodies, from going through pain, suffering, trauma, a life, really. Just being alive. There's a lot that comes, the reactions to the experience of life, of being a vulnerable uh, expression of the truth. And so she says, it's by being with this experience that we wake up, not by moving away from it, by going closer to it. And she says, by sitting minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, year after year, Sitting builds the power or the courage to move beyond the mental stuff idea to the even more critical step of returning to the bodily experience of these identifications, of these senses of self that we take ourselves to be. We return so we can experience directly, not in words, the pain out of which our beliefs are formed. We must abandon our mistaken trust in thinking as a path to freedom and turn in one direction only, to experience in our body the pain of our beliefs. We have to face the pain we've been running from that moves us all through our lives in a zillion different ways. In fact, she says, we need to learn to rest in it and let the searing power transform us. When we truly rest in this bodily sensation, there's a knowing, an exact resonating in the body. And then there is spaciousness and peace in which we discover ourselves and our actions in a new light. It's a beautiful article. I'd encourage all of you to read it. from David White, speaking to this sitting with the pain 
of experience, of our vulnerability, of our identifications and grasping, clinging. He says, imagine my surprise sitting a full hour in silent and irremediable fear of the world to find the body forgetting its own fear, the instant of opening, and placed its unassuming hands on life's enduring pain. And the world, for one moment, closed its terrifying eyes in gratitude, saying, this is my body. I am found. the transformative possibility of mindfulness, of being present right here, right now, with the whole construct of the world and suffering. The last piece in this wisdom basket that I'd like to mention comes with Mindfulness of the elements, of the elemental nature of the body. This is really very simple. It's the earth element, the air element, the fire element, the water element. As we de-objectify, de-reify, de-thingify the body, and as you sit with experience, what you'll find is a sense of solidity or fluidity or spaciousness or movement or air or heat or temperature. These are the four elements showing themselves right here. It's not just the scientific truth, which it is. We know our body is made up of the elements. It's a direct experience that you can begin to recognize as you practice mindfulness of the elements. Feel the earth element, heaviness, weight, density, solidity. It comes, it's here in the body often. Feel the air element, the breath itself, expansion and contraction, lightness, movement is the air element. The fluidity of the body, the cohesive sense of this, when you shut your eyes and there's just a sense of energy here, that cohesive sense is part of the fluidity of the body. And the temperature of coldness or of heat is the fire element or the lack of fire element when you're cold. Notice right now what element is present for you you pay attention to your body. When we begin to move into this elemental sense of the body, this direct felt sense, we begin to see that we're not separate from anything, that this is what the whole universe is made of, earth, air, fire, water, on the elemental level, that's all there is. Taking form here now as you, or you, or you, or me. Or taking form as this building, part of the earth element, 
And the temperature is part of the fire element. And the space is part of the air element. And the fact that it holds together is actually part of the water element, the cohesive element. Sometimes people talk about, have you ever said this? Oh, I need to go out and be in nature. I just haven't been in nature enough lately. It's pretty common. We all have that feeling at times. What's so interesting is we forget that we are nature. What else is this but nature? Earth, air, fire, and water, right here. It's really the wisdom of non-separation, of the oneness of things. The elements change form. When the earth element lets go, the water element lets go, it'll be a very interesting experience. Be much more the air element happening, or the space element, if you will. Susan Griffin, I'll end with a poem about this nature that we are, that sits here. We know ourselves to be made of this earth. I think in the Western tradition they say dust to dust. We know ourselves to be made of this earth. We know this earth is made from our bodies and the dinosaur bodies and the bodies of everything that ever lived. For we see ourselves and we are nature. We are nature seeing nature. We are nature with a concept of nature. Nature weeping. Nature speaking to nature about nature. Let's sit for a minute. 